Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Howdy, everybody. want to welcome you to Liquid Church. Glad you're here. Uh, if we've never met, I'm Pastor Tim. We actually have five locations around New Jersey who are meeting together right now. Would you welcome our brothers and sisters? We're glad you're with us today. Or maybe you're joining us at Church Online around the world. Thrilled you're here for the land between. Uh, this is a series I'm excited to preach. It's really about finding God in difficult transitions. And I know some of you are going through some challenging situations. Uh, and so I always like to, you know, at the start of a series, kind of lighten things up. A uh, little joke, you may have heard about the husband and wife who were married a long time, but they had the same birthday. They turned 60 years old on the same day. And so when they turned 60 that day, uh, God said, congratulations, I'm going to give you each one wish. And so the woman said, oh, I have always wanted to go on a Caribbean cruise. Suddenly, poof, she looks down, there's cruise tickets in her hand. They look around, they're in bathing suits, they're on a beach, beautiful. And the husband is like, wow, God's serious about this wish thing. Well, honestly, I've always wished to, uh, I wish I was married to a woman 30 years younger than me. Suddenly, poof, God turned him into a 90-year-old man. So, careful what you wish for. Ladies like that more than men, that, that joke. Well, let's, uh, let's open up to Exodus. You're going to open up your Bible, second chapter or second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 3. It goes Genesis Exodus. So Genesis is about beginnings, but Exodus, you see the word exit or departure. This is the second book of the Old Testament in which we learn about the story of God's people and how they leave Egypt. And as you may recall uh, from the, the movie, maybe you saw Exodus, Gods and Kings, you know, with Christian Bale. For 400 years, the Israelites are in Egypt and they're slaves to Pharaoh. Now, this is important because in your notes today, you'll notice I gave you a space to draw. So we're going to draw a little bit today. So if you want to click your pen, you can draw a little pyramid there, okay? Don't criticize my artistry. Don't be a hater. That's my pyramid, okay? You draw your own little pyramid there. That's a symbol for Egypt. Egypt was the land of slavery. And they were there 400 years. And God says, hey, I've heard your, your cries. I've seen your tears. And uh, I'm going to lead you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and take you to does anybody know what this is called here? The what? The promised land. Yeah, so I'm going to write promised land. The actual name of the promised land, it began with a C. Does anybody know? Yeah, Connecticut. And uh, no, actually it is Canaan. It was the promised land, what's modern day Israel. And in Exodus 3, here's what God says. I've come down to rescue them, that's the Israelites, from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That sounds more like Hoboken, you know? In other words, we're going to take them from the land of slavery to kind of a land of freedom, a land of promise. So these people who are identified by their chains, you're now going to be these children of great promise, and I'm going to lead you there. And God's like, we're going to go on a road trip. And it wasn't a huge journey. In fact, just geographically place this. The distance between Egypt and Canaan, does anybody know what it is? It's about 250 miles. So for us, imagine New York to Boston. How long does it take you to get to uh, Boston, JP, driving? What's that for you? Yeah, eight hours? Are you in a chariot? What is that? No, it's like, <laughs> takes me like three and a half, four hours. Depends who, don't go with JP. Don't try, that's amazing. Um, you know, flying, this would have taken uh, probably about two hours going from Egypt all the way to like where the Jordan River is in Israel. 
And that's, of course, if you flew. But these are the Israelites, right? This is, you know, uh, no planes, trains, and automobiles. They're walking, and there's 600,000 of them. So there's this huge mass of people who are walking 250 miles. So most scholars say it probably would have taken them between two and three months. So they kind of expected a short journey between the land of slavery and the promised land. But notice God never mentions this little area here, what we're calling the what? The land between this little parcel of desert known as the desert of Sinai. And how long were the Israelites in the desert before they reached the promised land? Remember how many? 40 years, four decades in the desert with little to eat, nothing to drink. And that must have driven them crazy to know like only a couple miles away is the, the land of milkshakes, you know, milk and honey. It probably drove them crazy. This was not part of their plan before taking hold of God's promises. They end up in the land between. And it's interesting because it kind of begs this question, like, what do you do when you hit a detour, you know, and you're kind of thrust into the desert in the middle of your life? Because for a lot of us, the land between happens suddenly, right? All it takes is a single sentence that lands like a bombshell. Hey, can I call you in? Yeah, what's going on? The department is closing. We are eliminating your position. I am so sorry. I know you've been here for 20 years, but Here's the box. Here's your box. We will need you out by the end of the day. What? Land between. It's a call that comes in the middle of the night. There's been an accident. How quickly can you make it to the hospital? We think she's had a stroke. She isn't able to speak, actually. Or how about this one? Hey, we need to talk. Okay, what do you want to talk about? No, I mean really talk. I'm calling off the engagement. What? I don't, I don't, I can't. Or maybe you remember growing up when your parents sat you down and said, your, your mother and I are getting a divorce or we're moving. What? All of a sudden, everything that once seemed normal is interrupted and the room sort of starts spinning. As Jeff Mannion, author of The Land Between writes, he says, suddenly you're hurled into the world of unemployment or you find yourself suddenly spinning into the land of singlehood, <laughs> tumbling into the valley of intensive care and there's all these New words, words like chemotherapy or radiation, or now we do visits to the nursing home. There's all this emotional chaos and upheaval, and it can be disorienting. It's dizzy, right? Just a few words. The tumor's malignant. Mom and dad, I'm pregnant. Or I'm sorry, you can't have children. And suddenly, you find yourself in this kind of barren place. Here you were kind of cruising along, you know, following the map. We're headed for the promised land. But all of a sudden, there's this, this detour. There's this unexpected delay that kind of hits you out of nowhere. And life as it once was is, I can't go back here. But now the future is in question, too. You know, over the holidays, I had uh, had a chance to talk with some uh, friend who was at his work for a long time, about 15 years. And that's what happened. He was thrust in the wilderness of unemployment. He said, I haven't done a resume in decades. I don't even know where to begin. Around our house at my family, we have four widows who came to the holidays uh, to dinner at our house, four widows who had lost their husbands in the last three years. And they're all over 70. And they were all comparing notes, feeling about how lost they felt. Now they're doing checkbooks, things they'd never done before. And there's this sense of like, am I good? Now I'm, they were married collectively over 150 years between them. How do, you, how do you adjust to new life as a widow? See, most of us, let's be honest, we have a picture in our head 
of how life is going to go, right? We make plans for how quickly we are going to get from point A to point B, right? I'm going to, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to go to this school, I'm going to graduate in four years, and maybe I'm going to get this degree, I'm going to be married by the time I'm 28, kids by 31, first million by 37, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is for you, we have this promised land, that's what I'm going to be, it's smooth and easy, I'm trusting God for this, and here's how long it should take me to get there. But sometimes, the unexpected happens, let's be honest. We hit a detour, and something we didn't plan on takes us through the desert. Nobody grows up and, and says, you know what, I think um, I'm going to get cancer at the age of 41. No, nobody says, I'm going to lose my job at, you know, 52 and everything that I've kind of worked for, and now I'm going to be in the desert of unemployment for, for two or three years. Nobody plans that the, the love of their life suddenly says, uh, you know what, um, here are divorce papers in your 20s or 30s. And now, all of a sudden, instead of making progress, you're like, I think I'm actually, this is weird, I'm starting all over again. It's like Monopoly, go back to beginning. If you find yourself in the land between, I want to give you hope. Let me tell you where you can find yourself on the map. If you feel lost, you're wondering where you are. Here's where you are. You ready? You are here. This is literally a map, a Google map of the Sinai Desert. And notice what color it is in here. What color is it? Brown. This is Egypt, okay? It's a land of slavery, but stuff grows there. Notice it's all green, this Google map. It's a satellite photo because that's the Nile River right there, and things actually grow there. And here's Canaan where they were headed, land of milk and honey. It's green up here too. Things are going to flourish. But notice they're in this moment when everything is brown and brittle and barren, and that's how you may feel. But here's reality. If you're here today and you're like, I am in the land between today, or some of you are like, I remember that season. I was in the land between. I think all of us either, we are in the land between, we were in the land between, or here's good news, ready? You what? <laughs> you will be in the land between. I don't mean to scare you. I'm just saying I don't think anybody gets a pass. I don't think anybody spends life and journeys through this life on a broken planet without a desert detour at some point in their journey with God. Speaking of God, where is he in all of this? I mean... If God, God's, I'm taking you here, and if he's in control of our life, and he promised to guide us, well, why didn't he take us on the fast path, right? Like, did God get the directions wrong? Is his GPS broken? That's what the Israelites honestly must have been thinking at this moment. Remember, God says this, I've come down to rescue them. I'm taking you up out of that land into a good and spacious land, the land of milk and honey. But in Exodus 13, here's what we read. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country. Say this together. Though that was shorter. In other words, God was very aware what the shortest route to the promised land was. But he said, I'm actually not going to take you on, on the, in the fast pass. We're going to take a long way home. <laughs> For God said, if they face war, they may change their minds and return to Egypt. And so God led people around by the desert road towards what? The Red Sea. This is kind of strange, right? God intentionally says we're going to take the long road home and we're actually going to go through the biggest obstacle there possibly is to cross, the Red Sea. And the Israelites must have been like, this doesn't make any sense. And so they said, God, give us a sign to lead us. And verse 21 says this, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a what? Pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. So let's again, let's draw. Here's my cloud. Not that great a cloud. It's kind of like more cumulus, all right? 
And uh, here's my fire, like kind of little, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll kind of color it. I like coloring today, getting a little bit of fire there. Would it be awesome if God, like, you know, led you that dramatically, like he, like, literally lit things up and you could make the choice there? Like a, di- like a divine GPS whenever you come to a decision. In other words, like, imagine, like, you have to, like, you know, I'm between jobs, and God's like, take that one, <laughs> not this one, Right? Uh, or like you're single and you go to a party, like, Lord, lead me to a spouse, and there's a pillar of fire, like, marry this guy, and the cloud covers all the ugly ones, you know? <laughs> what, what kind of confidence would you have if you were convinced of God's divine direction in your life? This is an example of a theophany. It just simply means God appearing in physical form. Nowadays, obviously, that's rare. But in our world, God typically speaks to us through his word, the Bible, through the wise counsel of other Christians, sometimes through dreams or impressions. But God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, and they witness this miracle, right? You know what happens. You saw the movie. They come to the Red Sea, and Charlton Heston raises his staff, right? And the waters part, and God leads his people to freedom. They walk through on dry ground, and all of Pharaoh's chariots end up in this kind of watery grave. It's the miracle of Exodus out of Egypt. Just as all seems lost, God provides a way out. But this is just the beginning. Because as they enter the desert on the other side, they encounter this series of three desert detours that put their faith to the test. And I want to look briefly just at the first one today in Exodus 15. Because if you're facing a season in the land between, you have a choice. The desert is a place where your faith can go to grow brittle and die. Or it could be the place where it undergoes transformation, where it actually flourishes and grows even deeper. And it really is a choice. It's a decision of the heart whenever you're faced with a detour or delay in your life. So I want to look at this by looking at Exodus 15. If you flip there in your Bible or on your phone, we're going to see how God's people respond. And then I'm going to ask how you're going to respond to this. So Exodus 15, we'll start at verse 25 or 22. Let's take a look at this. It says this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was what? It was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? So the first detour has a name, and I'm going to write it right here. That name is Mara. And do you see in your footnotes, what's it mean? It literally translates to bitter. In other words, the natural default, we we don't like detours. We love when it's smooth sailing. But when things go south, isn't it so human that our natural default is to get bitter or resentful? Now, before you go judging the Israelites, because I know everyone's like, oh, see these ungrateful people. This is understandable. You got to have some compassion. These people are thirsty. How many days have they walked without water in the Sinai Desert? Three days, okay, 72 hours. Have you ever, have you ever taken a road trip with your kids' parents? They start getting antsy. When are we going to get there? I'm hungry. Let's go to Wendy's. I'm thirsty. This is the whining right kind of begins. And, and, and notice this kind of spirit of complaint. They're walking for three days without water, and they, like, finally get to, oh, Mara, and, and, they, and they see the water, and they're like, oh, thank you. Thank you, God. You provide. This is amazing. <laughs> Boom! That's awful. Enjoy. I'm glad you came early. I'm glad you came early today. 
<laughs> Frank, <laughs> that's what you get. They're like, this is awful. What is this? Oh, is this Long Island? Where, where did I get this from, you know? The people must have been like, like, wrong turn, Moses. We are going to the land of milk and honey, not brackish, bitter, you know, bitter water. And they start to grumble. And, and it's not just this, right? The detour turns them bitter where? On the inside. Have you ever met somebody who goes through a hardship and it turns them a deep shade of bitter? Jeff Mannion tells a story about a man named Tony and his congregation who was getting together with him and his soon-to-be ex-wife. And uh, they were getting a divorce. They were kind of coming for intervention, but she was already committed. She said, we're not going through reconciliation. I have no intent of doing counseling. I am actually leaving to join the, the man who actually kind of stole her heart. And the husband's response, he said, it was just, it was incredible. He goes, I watched it morph in front of me because he realized that only with only one income, now we can't make a mortgage payment on our house, I guess now your house, and now I'm going to live in an apartment. As he spoke, he said, the spirit of, of acid bitterness, I can't believe this. All those mortgage payments for nothing, I'm going to take a bath on this thing. And all of a sudden, the conversation turned to like, who's going to get the newer car? Who's going to end up with the beater? And then there was this crazy argument over the toaster. I am, you take the Carrick machine, I'm getting the toaster. I will not budge on this, right? And you look at that kind of thing, you say, that's kind of crazy. Where's all this energy and anger coming from? Something inside their spirit was turning a deep shade of bitter. See, when you come to a detour, every follower of Christ faces this choice. Will this make me bitter or better? And let's be honest, it is very easy to get bitter. It's the most natural thing to lose hope. If, you, if you're like, I thought I'd, here's where I'm at, and I thought I'd be married by now, but I'm still single. It's very easy to say, you know, what's, where are all the good guys? What's wrong with men? Or maybe you send out hundreds of resumes, and you don't get back one email or courtesy phone call, and you're like, it's not fair. This is hopeless in this economy. Or you work your way through rehab, coming back from an injury or addiction or something, and like, just as you make progress, all of a sudden there's a setback, and it sends you all the way back to the beginning, back to, back to Mara, back to bitter. Bitter people can be very difficult to be around, right? There's this kind of toxic spirit. It's a spirit of complaint and of grumbling that sours the soul. But listen, guys, this is a pivotal moment. For a guy like Tony, his response in this moment, watch, impacts him now and 10 years and 20 years from now. The truth is his response to that divorce could end up having a greater impact on his life than the divorce itself. See, none of us get to choose the detour, but you do get to choose your heart's response to it. Does it make you bitter or better? You choose the response, and your response kind of reveals who you are right now, but it also sets the course for who you're becoming. Uh, when a man who's betrayed lets resentment go unchecked, the resulting bitterness can actually be more crippling than the original injury. I've seen people decades later say, ah, she ruined my life. Or if you're unfairly let go or fired or something, and you, you, know, you just, they ruined my career. Understand, your response, not just the injury, is what cripples the spirit. That's a very sobering lesson from the land between. The response of your heart today determines the person you're going to be tomorrow. So understand, every time you get hurt or betrayed or burned, you're choosing what kind of person you will become. It's a choice of the heart. Will the experience make you bitter or better? We all know what bitter looks like. But what does better look like? 
before I get into what happens here at Mara, I want to show it to you. I saw an inspiring example of a couple of 20-somethings, two young millennials, who were unexpectedly thrust into the land between, and they chose better. Their names are Ian and Larissa Murphy, and they met in college in 2005, fell in love after dating, you know, and Ian planned to marry Larissa, who's actually saving money to buy a ring, and all was going according to their plan and their timetable until September of 2006, when on his way to work, Ian's car was hit broadside by an SUV and actually went underneath it, and their plans were shattered. Ian sustained a traumatic brain injury that left him debilitated, and it put their entire future into question. But incredibly, through their faith in Christ, Larissa didn't respond by becoming bitter, but she chose something better. Check this out. Ian and I first met in 2005 at college and had a blast for 10 months getting to know each other. And I was looking through, and I found one of my favorite pictures, which I think was actually taken right before his accident. He set up a camera on his, his tripod. And it's just a classic Ian face that to me sums up who he is. We'd been dating for 10 months, and he was working an extra job for his dad, and he was on his way to work near Pittsburgh. And we got a phone call that he had been in an accident, and we didn't know if it was when he got to work or on his way. And so we got down to Pittsburgh, and I was just praying the whole time in the car that it wouldn't be his brain. After being at the hospital for a few hours, we found out that it was, and he had been in brain surgery for a few hours and had suffered a traumatic brain injury. God totally spared his life. Uh. One night, he was failing four out of five brain activity tests, and the next morning, he was doing well, and his brain was starting to respond again. I moved in with his family after the accident, so I was really involved in his therapy and just did whatever I could to make his life fun. We'd go out on dates, and looking back, it's weird because he couldn't talk and he couldn't eat. So we probably looked like complete weirdos being on dates, but we had a blast, and I just talked to him all the time. I knew that before Ian's accident, he was very serious about marriage and was ring shopping. So I knew where he was, and that helped me so much. After he couldn't talk, I knew that he loved me, and I knew where he wanted the relationship to go because we were dating very intentionally. We just prayed that marriage would someday happen and watched all of our friends get married and start having families. That was challenging, but we just tried to hold out hope that that would be us someday. This is our board of gratefulness, and we encourage anybody who comes in to write a note of something they're thankful for. It could be really small. Mine is just Saturday mornings, and it's just a good way that we found to be just practicing gratefulness. And Ian, I think half of yours say uh -huh. my wifey, uh -huh. which is pretty cool. Uh -huh. We decided that we couldn't really consider marriage as an option until Ian was able to communicate. But if he could communicate with me, then we could have a marriage, knowing it would be really different but as long as Ian could talk to me, then we could make it work. So once Ian began communicating, it became a little bit more of an option. And then we just kind of watched Ian progress. Uh. 
Ian and Larissa asked me to read a couple of quotes from a man named John Piper, who's a, a well-known Bible teacher, and he talks about marriage and how it, this mystery refers to Christ and the church. And he says this, Marriage is not mainly about prospering economically. It is mainly about displaying the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church. He says, knowing Christ is more important than making a living. Treasuring Christ is more important than bearing children. Either way, it is short. It may have many bright days, or it may be covered with clouds. But if we set our face to make of marriage mainly what God designed it to be, no sorrows and no calamities can stand in our way. Every one of them will be not an obstacle to success, but a way to succeed. The beauty of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church shines brightest when nothing but Christ can sustain it. It's a pretty remarkable story, isn't it? I mean, that's absolutely incredible. You don't see that in our world. You know, as a pastor, I routinely have the privilege of sitting with people and families who go through incredible disappointment, tragedy, pain, and loss. And what I've discovered is that oftentimes the land between becomes the place where God does some of his deepest work and puts his supernatural provision on display. And this is really the hope, guys. If you actually reject a spirit of complaint and lean into Christ, the space where you feel most disappointed, most lost, most lonely, most hurt, it becomes prime real estate for spiritual transformation. A deeper faith that trusts God in all things, even this thing, as he meets you in your emotional upheaval and says, I can demonstrate my goodness and that I will be faithful to you. Listen, after Ian's accident, I mean, Larissa had every right to become bitter, <laughs> But her heart chose better. She chose the road less traveled in Christ. And together, Ian and Larissa, they actually now have a ministry called 828, named after the promise of God in Romans 828. And we know that in all things, let's say it together, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. God's called you. They must have been wondering, God, you, did he really call us out of Egypt to free us? Because it seems like he's trying to kill us. <laughs> but believing that you've been called on purpose by God, he works all things, even this thing, together for good, for his glory, and for your good. That's what he does with the Israelites here at Mara. Let's hop back into the story. What happens here? Pick up at verse 25. After they grumble about the, the bitter water, here's what it says. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water. And what happened? The water became sweet. 
In other words, even when God's people grumble, complain, and whine, he stretches out his hand and he says, can you trust me? I know this is hard. I know this is frustrating. I know this is painful. But can you trust me enough believing that I can turn this bitter moment into something sweet? And as you reach out your hand and take your your heavenly father's hand, you actually taste his mercy. Instead of making you bitter, it makes us better in an incredible way. Christ is better. How How do you do that? How do you choose better over bitter? Well, notice two things here in verse 25. First thing it says, it says, Moses cried out to who? To the Lord. When you struggle, here's a question for you. Do you complain to God or do you complain about God? Because I find a lot of people, when they're hit with a detour, they complain about God. If God really loved me, why would he let this happen? If he loved me, this seems unfair. How's God going to do it? They complain about God. That's what the Israelites did. It's okay to complain. But notice what Moses did. He complained what? To God. In other words, he took his needs to the Lord. Here's a great question for you. When you struggle, do you typically point the finger at God or at others? Do you fold them in prayer saying, God, you're actually my only source of help? Because when you complain about God, it, do, it deepens the bitterness, and you're lashing out at the only one who gives a remedy. Moses cries out to the Lord. He goes directly to God and says, I believe you have a solution to the bitterness. And the Lord provides. The moment he prays, God reveals the source of healing. It's kind of interesting. It says, the Lord showed him a piece of wood. If you look at the King James Version, it says, a branch of a tree. In other words, there was this tree growing in the desert of all places. In the middle of this barren desert, there's this tree that shouldn't really be going, growing there. And Moses snaps off a branch. He takes a piece of wood, throws it in the water. And what happens to the water? The water turns sweet. God says, my tree can turn bitter to better. This is a foreshadowing, friends. Anytime you read the Old Testament, you say, where's Jesus? Because everything that happens in the Old Testament is simply a foreshadowing of our Savior in the New. In other words, this tree in the desert in Exodus is foreshadowing the tree that Jesus would hang on. Where he said, I'm going to taste all the bitterness of God's anger and his wrath so you can take the sweetness of eternal life. See, when you undergo a hardship or a season of testing, as a follower of Christ, here's what you can do. You can acknowledge, this is unpleasant. But as a follower of Jesus, instead of blaming God and pointing the finger, we actually point our eyes and look to the cross and we see, even though I feel alone, I don't feel like he's loving me right now, I see evidence of his love. Christ has suffered in my place, and because of that, I actually don't have to be bitter because I'm not undergoing punishment. The number one complaint is, and you heard Larissa say that. She goes, we wondered, like, is God punishing us? Had we done something wrong? On the cross, Jesus took all the punishment, all the wrath, the bitter cup of judgment of God on himself. And so here's the guarantee. You're not being punished. You're you're not being made an example of. It's just the opposite. He says, I will go with you. As Christ suffered, you are suffering. And now you have the hope of heaven, the promised land. This is guaranteed. Your eternal life is secure. So you don't have to feel abandoned when you go through the land between. On the cross, you guys remember, he's hanging on a tree, and what does Jesus cry out? He says, I'm thirsty. (laughs) And they offered him gall mixed with wine. He said, God, why have you abandoned me? In other words, Jesus went through all the feelings of abandonment and actually the cosmic abandonment, the separation from God, so that we would never have to be alone. That's the sweetness. The Bible says because we share in the sufferings of Christ, we also share in his resurrection. And because Christ was abandoned, you don't have to feel being 
alone in your moment of need. So understand, if you're drinking from the waters of Mara today, if you're like, that's me, you're not alone, and you have never been alone, and you will never be alone. Through the cross, you have been made a child of God. You are a son or daughter of the king, and your father promises what I began in you, I'm going to take to completion. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Amen? Even in the land between. Your father's saying, I love you, my child. Take my hand. Trust me. I've promised good to you. And here's evidence. My son on a tree in your place. He has sweetened the waters for you. So Christ can take your bitterness and and, and change it to a sweet thing. Cling to him. Job says this when he's knocked down. He says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. In the land between, Jesus teaches us how to turn our bitter into better. That's what he does here with the Israelites at Mara. I mean, it's such a strange thing to see someone who it makes them better like Larissa because we mostly know folks who are bitter. We all can think of somebody, don't point any fingers, that you know you're like, oh man, you can't even mention it or go there because if you even touch it, ah, they can't get beyond what something happened to them in the past. Life didn't turn out the way they expected and so they, they, they've gotten toxic. But you probably know some other folks in this church who've experienced the same detour, and it didn't make them bitter, but that, that trial, somehow that bankruptcy or that infertility forged a deeper dependency and trust in Christ at a deep place of them. Instead of a spirit of complaint, they chose a spirit of trust. This is the magic word. They trust the same God who led them out of slavery will provide in this crisis too. And I understand if you're here today and you're hurting, you may be like, dude, that's awesome, but you have no idea what I'm going through. In fact, just to sensitize you, you may be sitting next to somebody in your row right now, and they're smiley and happy on the outside, but inside, they're dying. And I'm not saying, hey, put on a happy face or grin and bear it. I'm just normalizing the journey that God leads his people on. Not just the Israelites back then, but followers of Christ today. And it's a journey that if you lean in and actually grab hold of your Heavenly Father's hand and trust, he will use these detours in your life to make you better, which his version is, more like Jesus Christ, his son. What does that look like? What's that mean? Here's what James 1 counsels. James writes, Consider it pure, what's this word? Joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James is writing these words to persecuted Christians who are running for their lives. If they attended church like you on Sunday they may end up and declare that they follow Christ. They may be in the Colosseum facing lions by Thursday. That's what they're going through. And James says, consider it pure joy whenever, not if, if you face many, when you face trials of many kinds. How do you choose joy in trials when your fiance is brain damaged? How do you choose joy when you lose your house? See, here's how you can tell real authentic Christianity from superficial fake Christianity. Superficial fake Christianity promotes happiness. The goal of life is the promised land, the land of milk and honey, your best life now. Everything is smooth sailing. You find the man or woman of your dreams. You get the parking spot at the mall. Jesus died for you so that you could have the parking. What? What are you talking about? You guys know life doesn't work like that. And that's why you need joy, not happiness. What's the difference? Joy, (laughs) happiness, what's happiness based on? Happenings. In other words, you are totally at the tyranny of your circumstances. I'm not happy because this is happening. But joy is something deeper. Joy is this deep abiding sense and peace 
that God can be trusted. He's working all things, this thing, together for my good, even when I don't feel it or see it. Amen? That's unshakable for me. Consider it joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops what? Perseverance. What is God doing in the land between? According to James, he's forging perseverance, which means patient endurance. God allows his people to endure hardship in the desert so they come to depend on him completely. See, detours are a test. They first reveal what you're made of, but they're also a training ground. It is an invitation to exercise your spiritual muscle and develop a deeper faith that grows you into the image of Christ. That's God's dream for your life. Our dream is happily ever after, milk and honey, milkshakes. But God's dream is different for your life, according to James. He says, perseverance must finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Our dream, happily ever after. God's dream, mature and complete. (laughs) See, happiness is too small a dream. It's too temporal. God's like, I'm after something bigger. That one day, every you will be conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of other people. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Perfect in love, perfect in faith, perfect in trust, just like Jesus. But have you noticed something about mature and complete? It doesn't typically come through smooth and easy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, this is my goal for my kids, right? I got an 11, 13-year-old. I'm, I want them to grow mature and complete. I don't even have a huge goal. I'm just like, I hope they get out of the house and they'll live in the basement, you know? Mature and complete, you know what I'm saying? But parents, you know this. If I'm like, I want my kids to be mature and complete, so I hand everything to them on a silver platter. <laughs> I say, kids, gather in. I have the secret. I have the secret to life. Always choose the path of least resistance. If you see a shortcut, always take the shortest way. <laughs> now, is that going to mature and complete them? No, that's how you raise whiny, entitled brats, right? Not mature and complete adults. Do you want to build character? Guess where it's forged. It's forged on the anvil of adversity in the desert when it heats up in the land between. When you go through hardship and you respond with a bold faith that's not based on your circumstances but on the character of Christ, you develop this patient endurance, this confidence and trust that comes to reflect your Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about the journey that Jesus himself went on. We follow him. Before he could experience the promise of resurrection, he endured the what? pain of the cross. The cross was a detour. I'm not minimizing what you're going through. Your diagnosis is a detour. Your breakup is a detour. But whenever you face this detour, God gives you a choice. Will this make you bitter or better? Will I respond with a spirit of complaint or a spirit of trust that says, God, I need your strength now more than ever. I'm depending on you for fresh water for my soul. Joy, I do not have joy. I need the joy of Jesus in the middle of this hardship. Understand, guys, your response in that moment, it's the only thing you actually have control over in life. It's very sobering, right? How little we have control over. We, guys, most often, we have no control over what someone else does to us. You have no control over your boss. You have no control or maybe a little bit of control. You think over your spouse, that's the problem. I have control. (laughs) Maybe a little bit of, don't amen that, JP. That's not, (laughs) you're 0 for 2 today, buddy. That's, (laughs) You have no control over your kids. You have no control over a distracted motorist. 
You have no control over, over your you know, dishonest business partner. But here's the good news. You do have control over your response. And it's a choice of the heart. Do you respond with a spirit of complaint like the Israelites or a spirit of trust? Do you choose grumbling or do you choose growth? You decide. Will it make you bitter or better? And understand, the decision you make today largely determines the person you become tomorrow. We all know older people who you're like, holy smokes, they're kind of this angry, resentful person. Or do you want to be known as you progress in life's journey with Christ for this deeper abiding sense of peace, an internal trust that it's okay. God is working all things for good even when I can't see it, even when I can't feel it. The Israelites come to Mara, and it makes them bitter. But God provides. He turns the water sweet. And that's when they're hit with detour number two, which we're going to look at next week. Next Sunday, I want to dive into this and, and discover, well, how do we actually draw on the supernatural strength of Christ day to day? If you're in the land between, how can like this help you kind of Monday through Friday? What, what, what's the shift internally in your heart, and what practically do you need to do on a daily basis? But before we, we go there, I just want to ask you to think about your detour today. Some of you know exactly what it is as I've been talking. You've been, you're in the land between right now. Maybe you're facing a situation in your life or an obstacle you can't seem to get around. Here's my, my invitation to you. We want to invite you today to let us know what that is so that we can pray for you. Inside of your program, we put a prayer card. It looks like this. Can everybody take that out? It says the land between on the front. And on the back, it says, please pray for the detour I'm facing. And we gave you a pen today. I'm going to invite you to click it and just jot down a few words describing the detour you would like our campus team to pray for. Could be relational, something in your family. Could be career. Maybe it's financial, health situation. Notice there's no room for your name. Don't write your name. This is anonymous. We're going to keep all of these in confidence, but our campus prayer team is actually going to pray for these requests this week. Just write a word or two. Maybe even want to write a prayer. You know, I'm going through a chronic illness or my marriage is at an impasse. But we're going to invite you to turn this over to God. At the end of the service, you're going to drop it in a bucket as you, as you head out as a symbolic way of saying, you know what, God? I am choosing trust over bitterness about this situation. And this week, our campus prayer team is going to pray for you for fresh hope, just for healing, and for patient endurance, that this thing wouldn't be the thing that makes you bitter, but this is the year it actually makes you better. So I'm going to invite our campus prayer team to come forward right now at all of our campuses. They're going to come down, stand underneath the side screens, be available for prayer at the end of today's service. And as they do that, if you're in the land between, we'd love to pray for you. We are literally, this is our joy. Like we were here praying in this room before you even got here, and we've been praying with people all day. Come forward after we sing our final closing song. We'd just love to hear what's going on and how we can support you in this. But let's do this as you're kind of jotting that down. And before we sing our final worship song, would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Let's bow our heads, all our campuses. Father God, I pray right now for every single man and woman. You know what they're going through, God. In fact, you're there waiting for them. God, it's hard. This is just, it's hard, God. Some of us are at this point of, um, this is a painful thing to even talk about. There's some recurring bitterness, if we're honest, in our spirit. And so, Lord, we repent. We repent of our complaining and our grumbling. God, it's our flesh. We're weak. But in our weakness now, we need your strength, Christ. Holy Spirit, would you come, be a balm, be a healing, begin the process, Father God, of renewing our hearts, filling them with hope, Father God, even as people are writing down 
what they're giving over to you, God, begin flooding their heart with a new sense of hope that you are here for them, God, and you can be trusted to make them mature and complete, not lacking anything. There's nothing missing, God. With our heads bowed, if you're here today and you're that, like, that's me. I am in the land between. I'm facing a detour. I need prayer. I need you to pray for me. Would you just shoot your hand up right where you are? Again, just put your hand up. Just let me know. I see a bunch of hands. We're going to pray for you today. Praise God for you. We're going to pray. I'm glad you're here. Thank you for your honesty. God, I pray right now for people who are lifting their hands, others, Lord, who are doing it in their heart. Lord, come alongside them, Holy Spirit, right now. Speak to them at a deep place that you are with them. You are carrying them. Give them guidance, Lord, just like the pillar of fire by day. Give them discernment and wisdom this week, I pray, God. Supernatural joy. God, maybe they haven't felt joy in years. Let that begin flickering in their heart even now as we worship you in the middle of the land between. We ask that all glory would go to Jesus Christ, our Savior, and everyone said together, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.